Hello, and welcome back to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Naomi Kling. And I'm Max Hogan. On this week's show, we'll begin by taking a look at the latest headlines in startup news. Then we'll catch up with Melissa Vincent, who recently took over as Executive Director of Pipeline, an entrepreneurial fellowship program located in Kansas City. We talked with her about how her time as Executive Director has been going, as well as what Pipeline means to entrepreneurs in Kansas City. After that, we'll talk with Columbia entrepreneur Kristen Brown about brand advocates. Brown, the founder of Hoot Design Company, teaches other entrepreneurs how the concept of brand advocate can help them focus their efforts and make the most of limited marketing dollars. And finally, we will give you our digits, the numbers that matter in Missouri startup news. All right, Naomi, let's speak startup. First, though, Max, I've got to say, I am really counting on next week for being a great weekend. You know what's next weekend? Uh, Next weekend. What's next weekend? It's true false film festival already already come on we've been so busy podcasting we haven't been paying attention time flies when you do podcasts it does it does well i've got family visiting they honestly they had to book hotels like months in advance it's that crowded yeah i think a couple years ago it was like fifty thousand people or so were buying tickets for true false so i'm expecting columbia to be absolutely packed yeah no it's a great time when all the musicians and the artists come <laughs> to columbia and Make it an arts utopia of, of sorts. <laughs> Definitely something we can't miss. We'll have to be there. Mm-hmm. Speaking of what not to miss, let's get into our can't miss headlines of the week. Agreed. Let's get to it. Toby Rush, a technology entrepreneur based in Kansas City, announced that he plans to start an accelerator for tech startups. The unnamed venture studio is still in the early stages, but technology companies focused on sectors including agriculture, Healthcare and financial services are encouraged to pursue support from the program. Rush has founded multiple businesses, including iVerify, a company bought by an affiliate of Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba for a reported $100 million. A new nonprofit foundation focused on equity and social justice is coming to St. Louis by way of Sue McCollum, CEO of Major Brands. That's a premium beverage distributor in Missouri. While there is still no word of how large the nonprofit foundation will be, McCollum intends that it will have a major impact on issues associated with equity in St. Louis. Jack Scatizzi, a former startup executive and early-stage investor, was named the Missouri Technology Corporation's new executive director. Scatizzi will replace interim executive director Tori Benson, who is the second of two interim leaders since December 2018. The Missouri Technology Corporation is a public-private partnership established to promote entrepreneurship in the state. It has seen steep budget cuts in state funding over the last few years. The British are coming! That's what St. Louis economic officials hope will result from this week's visit from United Kingdom business leaders. Government and business officials visited St. Louis hoping to build long-term partnerships between the city and the United Kingdom and expand into the U.S. market. This visit from the U.K. delegation comes a year after St. Louis officials traveled to the U.K. And lastly, a Minnesota company that uses repurposed ocean plastic to make outdoor furniture is expanding to the Kansas City metro area. The company Yardbird says it's making the move after discovering a disproportionate number of customers that live in the Kansas City metro area. The company plans to open a showroom in Overland Park this March. Now we turn our attention to Melissa Vincent 
who just last month started as the executive director of the Pipeline Entrepreneur Fellowship in Kansas City. Max, I may be new to this, but remind me what Pipeline is. So Pipeline is a one-year educational and networking program that guides and grows about 10 startups per year. And what did Vincent do before Pipeline? Well, she's been in the startup game for 16 years as the co-founder for both Nine Tribe, a software company, and Locked In Sports, a sports training app. I was able to catch up with her in between her busy schedule to see what attracted her to Pipeline and get her initial assessment of Kansas City's entrepreneurial scene since she is from Oklahoma City. So now we welcome on Melissa Vincent. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what ultimately drew you to the Kansas City area and the opportunity with Pipeline? So the thing that I love about Pipeline is that there's a huge need for it. It's a very niche audience that is um, your high growth, high performing entrepreneurs and companies that are typically missed out on because most of your um, support services go to your earlier stage startups. And so there's this kind of unique community of startups that is a little bit later stage um, and they're high growth, you know, they're they're really taking off and they need that extra support system to keep them from plateauing and continuing to grow. So it felt like for me, all of my experiences that I'd had in my career and being in the Midwest and seeing the services that were lacking really all came together to help me see Pipeline as where I could contribute the most value because it felt like everything I had done kind of led me right to here. To build off that, what have your plans been so far in your time as a lead person for Pipeline? So the first thing is is not to break anything along the way, right? So we have this great program that's working where we have, you know, an intense fellowship year. There's four modules. They are very intensive. We just finished our first module last week, um, and those require just a lot of, um, you know, being in there. We're providing professional development for our members at the same time we're providing programming to our fellows. So a lot goes into our programming modules. So we have those. Um, And so that's the the first part of it. And then the rest of, um, you know, going into the, programming side of things and what we're going to do next goes into our members. So we really want to um, bring in, that's the nice thing about bringing in a new person. You have a lot of new, um, a network of people and I'm a community builder. So being able to bring in some new people for um, our professional development. And then on top of that, the other things that I'm really excited about is we're going to do some partnerships with some CAP schools and really try to help our fellows and our members give back to the community and help encourage and hopefully motivate and mentor the upcoming generations of future entrepreneurs. So I'm really excited about that. And Pipeline has done some of that in the past, and I'm excited to have us do more of that in the future. And then also just being able to take a little bit of this amazing brain trust we have as Pipeline of these successful entrepreneurs and find some ways to actually give back to the community. And one of those things that we want to do um, is actually have a podcast, so a pipeline podcast that shares the stories of success of our of our members and our fellows. I think it's a powerful way for us to, to look at specific questions about starting a company, doing capital raises, exits, um, you know, the the good and the bad of having your own 
um, you know, company and being able to tell those stories and walk through some of those issues and share that with a larger community. Um, because pipeline is very difficult to get into, which is something that um, it's an honor to get into. It. It's, you know, we only take, unlike a lot of other accelerators and programs that are similar, we're only taking, you know, 10 to 13 fellows a year. So instead of having all these batches in one year, we're doing one batch and it lasts all year. And so because of that, it just, there's not a lot of spots open to begin with. And so um, being able to take the 130 plus members that we have and take some of the the experiences and knowledge that they've gone through and be able to share those with the broader community um, is something I'm excited to do um, as part of Pipeline. So it sounds like you're excited about a number of things going on inside Pipeline, but what's your vision for the future of Pipeline? So the biggest thing for Pipeline is that we are a regional resource and we're headquartered in Kansas City, but as you know, a resource that is in the Midwest, being able to reach additional states to kind of bring them into the pipeline family is really where um, the target of the organization is that accomplishes multiple goals from sustainability to really growing our program and pulling in other um, states and ecosystems that may not have the services that we offer to those, you know, high-performing, high-growth startup founders. And so for me, what we're, re- the, the biggest thing that we're going to be doing over the next years and the next however many years, hopefully the next decade, is really growing our footprint here in the Midwest and expanding into additional territories so that way we can help more entrepreneurs. Okay, great. And then I also wanted to ask, as a newcomer, you bring a fresh set of eyes to Kansas City's entrepreneurship scene. What stands out as some of those strengths that Kansas City offers? And then where do you see room for improvement? So I, I would say one of the greatest strengths that you know, the Kansas City and industry um, area has is that you, um, the area has not received government funding in a long time. That you know, used to be something that was provided and then um, you know, I think it was like 13 years ago that stopped. And as a result of that, I think that the community, the entrepreneurial community really had to come together and create their own, um, community. So it wasn't something where funding was provided from the government and you can kind of take that for granted. And it, it really feels more like a true community because you guys are much, Kansas City entrepreneurs are very dependent on each other. There's a support attitude more so than a competitive attitude. And I think that may uniquely comes in the fact that um, without government support coming in and flooding the area with funding, you're really dependent on organizations um, like the Kauffman Foundation and others who are doing a great work of supporting entrepreneurs, but they're not government-based. And I think that that creates a much more um, community-based feeling than competitive-based feeling. So I think that that's a huge plus for the area is that there is that those support mechanisms in place that are very um, that run very deep and not superficial because it's not based on government funding that could go away. That's the that's the positive thing. I think on um, the only negative I would say is that I think that there's always room for additional services, and so being able to um, you know grow one the awareness that that there are the services that are there. I think it's always a question of 
you know, telling our story louder and to more people. So just letting people know that there's, you know, the basically um, all of the services that are available in Kansas City to a broader audience that may not right now know that those services are available. Melissa, thanks for talking with us. Absolutely. I Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, Max, now it's time we talk about brand advocates. Brand advocates, what are those? They are basically a fictional but very specific version of a business's ideal customer. Businesses create these personas to help market themselves to a more specific audience. Okay, and we're discussing them why? Well, some entrepreneurs swear by them. They say these fictional customers are essential to understanding and communicating with real customers. Kristen Brown is one of those entrepreneurs. She's the founder of Hoot Design Company, a Columbia ad agency that specializes in branding, web design, and content marketing. And brand advocates have helped her business? Yes. Since 2010, Brown has grown her company to nearly 20 employees. She says the approach has helped because customers respond to stories and approachable language, not data or jargon. By focusing on those stories, Brown says companies can save lots of time and money. And now she's spreading the word about that to other entrepreneurs. That's right. She's headlined an event this week in Columbia to talk about brand advocates, and reporter Regan Loftus caught up with her afterward. I'm here with Kristen Brown, owner of Hoot Design Company. Kristen, thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So what is a brand advocate and what does a business utilize this factor for? A brand advocate is a term that we use to communicate um, the person that you're targeting with all of your brand and messaging and the person that's going to sing your praises when you can't be there. I would say your most loyal customer, your raving fan. Um, and also we kind of refer to it as a dream customer because as, as it's as important that you love working with them as it is that they love working with you or love your products. What are factors businesses need to think about when creating an advocate? So I always like people to start with, you know, inspiration from someone that you've worked with in the past. And I should start by saying it's really powerful if you have some kind of data. So it's it's more challenging for a business that has never done a day of business before than it is for um, someone who's been open for at least a year. I think, unfortunately, sometimes the people we think are going to show up to our business actually don't. So that's a bad position you don't want to be in. Um, But if you do have some data on who actually is calling, you know, who's inquiring, what are the types of customers you're bringing in currently just through your product um, or your service, then we can really start there. So I would say if you reflect back on a, you know, situation you've had with a client or a customer over the past year that was really positive. I like to say, you know, you wanted to hug them and they wanted to hug you at the end of the experience. That's really the inspiration for the brand advocate because we're, of course, we're going after an aspirational um, customer, the best case scenario. And with a brand advocate uh, focusing on very specific details of a person, how does this not scare away other people coming to that company? 
Great question. Okay, so just because we're envisioning, like let's say I take this woman, Teresa, who lives in Sedalia and drives a Subaru. That's what we have in mind when we make our marketing decisions um, with when it comes to the way it looks and feels and sounds. But just because we have that person in mind doesn't mean that we have a sign that says, you know, if you drive a RAV4, you're not welcome here kind of thing. So it's it's kind of like a bullseye um, that we're shooting for as a target, but we're going to hit a lot of people that have a lot of shared values that Teresa has. Can a business save money using this method? I definitely think so, because I always like to start any presentation about the brand advocate by telling people that, you know, think of a brand that's for everybody. It doesn't offend anybody. It's for everybody. And the one that most easily comes to mind, I think, is Walmart. Well, Walmart spends a billion dollars a year on advertising. So that's a really great example of, you know, a brand that can be everything to everyone because it's almost has unlimited resources. Most of the people that we're working for, they have very limited resources. So instead of shouting into the void, you know, I need them to have laser focus on who they're speaking to. So if your demographic is under 40, you should be on Instagram. You know, if they're over 55, I would say don't waste your time on Instagram. Well, those those types of decisions can really help business owners save a lot of money. Through your own experience and own company, how have you seen a brand advocate fail and be successful? Oh, that's a really good question. I would say, unfortunately, one that I've seen fail is is it does go back to what I mentioned about the not having any data, a brand new business um, that had that opened in Columbia. I think that they thought that this certain demographic was going to show up for them. Um, and they had even done a ton of pre-marketing research with focus groups and people saying that they were interested in the product and that they would pay for the product. I mean, that's more than a lot of business owners do. And unfortunately, when it came to people really putting their money where their mouth is they just weren't there. Um, and that is your worst case scenario. And so, so I would say, I think it's really good advice to test your product or your service by actually selling it. So like get people to buy into some type of experience where they actually have to pay to test the product instead of going on what people think they want, you know, show me that you will actually pay for this product or service before I go launching a business based on it. Um, and then the way I think it's really worked for people um, is we work with a lawyer locally, and I think he was a great example of someone who had really built the brand based on his own instincts, you know, like, what did he like? What did he think he wanted to represent without really thinking about who actually was calling? And it turns out that who was calling was a 45-year-old woman from rural Missouri. And so we were able to tweak the brand, um, I mean, overhaul, completely redo the brand and all of his messaging and then his conversions and his um, his click-throughs and his conversions just really skyrocketed after that because I felt like, again, instead of shouting into the void, he was really laser focused on one one brand advocate and and he was able to speak her language then something that would actually compel her to click when you tell a company about a brand advocate that comes in here what is their initial reaction to that idea so definitely the first response we always get is that I can't just narrow it down to one person. Um, it has to be more than that. Um, I must have a unique business because I have to talk to more people. Um, and the, what I always say to that then is just that's going to cost you more money and time. So how much money and time are we talking? 
you know, how much money and time do you have? And lastly, what is on the horizon for Hoot Design Company? Um, So this year we are celebrating 10 years, so that is exciting, and we are going to be um, trying to, to celebrate that in a unique and cool way, which hopefully will be, you know, unveiling by the time we get to summer of this year. And I would say just what's on the horizon is um, more trying to be really front and center when it comes to hiring women in this area and being an advocate for women at work and women-led workplaces. That's something I think a lot of our staff are really passionate about. So we would love to be the number one creative employer for women in mid-Missouri, you know, as far as the best place to work for um, a creative-based female in this area. That's kind of what my vision for our immediate future would be. Thank you so much, Kristen, for your time and information. Thank you. All right, you know what it's time for. It's time for us to give you our digits, the numbers that matter in Missouri startup news. My digit this week is $400. $400? That's it? No, 400 entrepreneurs. More than 400 entrepreneurs pitched to Shark Tank producers last week with the hopes of making it on the show. They'll find out in two weeks whether they move on to film in California. Pitches included a gluten-free and therapeutic beer a plush insert to support babies during baths and sinks, and a product that provides a better way to tap a keg. One of the casting consultants said he was impressed with the local entrepreneurs and took note of the local organizations committing to supporting entrepreneurs. Okay, Naomi, what do you have for us? Well, I can top your digit. Mine is 80. Uh, Naomi, you know 80 is less than 400, right? Yes, but mine is 80 businesswomen supporting 300 other women in Overland Park's 7th Annual Mentoring Monday. Some of Kansas City's largest companies were represented by mentors at the event, including Sprint Corporation, Burns & McDonnell, and GEHA. This was the largest local mentoring event put on by American City Business Journals, which hosts these events all over the country. This year, they introduced the Entrepreneur Corner. That allowed mentees to talk with mentors who have entrepreneurial expertise. Topics included ways to build an organizational culture and how to have a job with what they call a side hustle. That's just about a wrap. But before we get out of here, we need a closing thought. Just like last week, Max, you know I got it. This time it comes from Melissa Vincent, who says she lives by the same motto she tells entrepreneurs who are going through pipeline. We make the decisions that are right at the time with the information we have then. And when we have better information, we can make better decisions. So we made that decision, you know, now you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, like I have to pivot. Why did I do that? And you can second guess yourself and doubt yourself. But when you look back and you look at the time you made that original decision, with the information you had done, it was an absolute right decision you wouldn't have made it otherwise. And that's all for this week. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Naomi Kling and me, Max Hogan. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time on Missouri Business Alerts, Speaking Startup.